Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, with Pastor John Barrera. Yeah? Yeah? Do I have to do, have to do that my, uh, monologue again? No, you heard that, right? Okay, okay, no. Hey, good morning. Uh, in case you're wondering where Pastor John is, I know our, our pastor, Pastor John, he's taking a well-deserved break. And um, it's an honor. Anytime that my pastor asks me to come and speak to the church family, it's an honor. And so I'm um, excited to see what the Lord's going to have for us today. Um, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be uh, challenging. But uh, without further ado, let's, let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord. We thank you for your word. And now, Lord, as we prepare to hear your word, Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, Lord, that we would hear your word, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like it says on the screen, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, and we're only going to cover four verses today. Now, because we're in Hebrews 1, it, it's appropriate to give you a background. And I think understanding the, the background of why it was written is going to help us understand what the Lord is trying to say to us today. You know, for you students of the Bible, you know context is important. And what, is, what do we mean by context? When you're reading a portion of scripture, you're understanding who wrote it, why it was written, when it was written, who it was written for. Those, those important, crucial details help get a truthful and accurate interpretation and application of Scripture. So many times we've seen throughout history, someone could take a, a Scripture and, and sincerely doing so, but misapply it. And so what we want to do here is we want to be accurate and so, let me give you a, a background now. Real quick, I see, I see them already. I see, first of all, thank you. I see some of those Colossian books that Pastor John is having you go through. Again, if, if you want to take notes in your Colossians book, you go right ahead. But today we're in the book of Hebrews. So, we're gonna, Pastor John will continue his study once he gets back. So, just be warned. We're going through the book of Hebrews. All right. Background on the book of Hebrews. Uh, who's the author? We don't know. Actually, we don't know. Some people speculate it was Paul. Some people say it was Luke. Some people say it was Barnabas. Some people say it was Apollos. We don't know. And actually, does it matter? Ultimately, we know that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's all that counts. Uh, we know that this book, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was put into the canon of Scripture. And, and we see throughout the this book of Hebrews that the author, whoever wrote this, knew a lot, was very proficient in the Old Testament. So that's why some scholars go Paul or Paulos, because they were known in Scripture to be very proficient in the Old Testament Scriptures. But again, we, we, we don't know. We don't, we don't know who, uh, who wrote it. Uh, and throughout the book of Hebrews, again, we're, we're only covering four verses in chapter one, but for you taking notes, uh, book of Hebrews explains bottom line that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and God's promises. 
All right. And so well, what's the purpose of the book of Hebrews? It's written to Hebrew Christians during the time of the Roman Emperor Nero. Think about that. Christians, Hebrews, Jewish people who, who heard the message and got saved. We would know them today as Messianic Jews or Messianic Christians. Yeah, exactly. Yes, we got, we got one here. And uh, now here's the thing. This is, where, this is where I really want us to understand the context. So, you know, when we hear about Messianic Jews, you know, right now in modern times, we go, wow, that's awesome. Wow, people, Jews who accepted Christ, man, they, they've got the full ultimate, you know, they, 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 they fully understand. But to say that the Hebrew Christians did not have it easy during this time when that the book was written, that would be an understatement. During the time when Hebrew, the Hebrew Christians were living, they faced persecution, not only from the Roman Empire, but also within, from their fellow Jews. L l let me explain. See, under the Roman Empire, Christianity was seen as a sect, you know, within Judaism, you know, and so, um, you know, the, the, the Roman authorities, Roman soldiers, okay, you know, these people are gathering, all right, these, these people, followers of the way, these Christians, you know, but as it started growing and gaining more followers, pretty soon that, that, Observation turned to suspicion, and it turned to concern. And all of a sudden, the Roman authorities were, were getting, like, hey, what's going on here? Are they trying to oppose Rome? Are they trying to oppose Caesar? And so because of that, they started getting opposition from the Roman authorities. They were also reviewed, remember, in the Roman time, you know, the, the Caesars were looked to as gods. So all of a sudden you see these group of people not pledging worship to the Roman uh, emperor, but to Jesus, to, to Christ. And that want, want to tick off the, the government? That's one way that they were doing that. So because these Hebrew Christians were not honoring the Roman emperor, they faced persecution. They faced hostility from the Roman authorities. And what is in leading to arrest, leading to imprisonment, and in some cases leading to execution. Okay, now, now if that was not bad enough, if, they, if that was not bad enough, they were getting opposition from their fellow Jews. See, some of the Jewish communities saw these these Christians as a deviation from their traditional beliefs. Like, dude, they'd be like, what are you doing? This is our fathers and our forefathers and our forefathers practice this. You know, we, we observe this and all of a sudden, you know, you heard uh, you, you became a Christian and now you're deviating away from that. How could you? What have you done? So, so remember, Jude, they live in the community. And so the Hebrew Christians faced what we would call, they were shamed by the, 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 the members in the community, they were ridiculed. They're even put out. Families were saying, hey, you know what? You're going to believe this Jesus. Guess what? You're dead to me. And, and think about this. Back in that day, you know, because it's a small community, you know, the Jews couldn't go to Walmart if they needed food or they couldn't go, you know, they, everything was local. 
So if a, if a Jewish, a Hebrew Christian needed to go and get milk or something, oh, 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 now you, Mr. Christian, need milk. Nope, I ain't going to help you. So literally, Hebrew Christians would, would deal with that. They were, they were being put out. And they were being ostracized within their own community. And, think of, and they were losing their jobs, losing their families, losing their, their position within the community because they believed in Jesus. So talking about tension, being a Christian at that time was not seen as a good thing for them. But it was not a good thing. Because, again, Roman authorities were not happy with them, and their own family wasn't ha- happy with them. The book of Hebrews is, is, is talking to a community of Jewish Christians who are facing persecution and hardship. Bottom line, the book of Hebrews encourages them to remain faithful in their faith, even in the face of what they were facing, even in the face of the suffering. And let's face it, let's face it. When things are not going the way that you planned, when things are going horrible, isn't it human nature to want to just go back to the way things were before? Oh, this isn't working out for me. Let me go back to the old way. Oh, you know what? This new, you know, this way of being a follower of Jesus, it's really ticking off a lot of people within my family. I've lost my job. Let me just go back. And so because of that, a lot of them were, were tempted and did go back to their old ways, go, go back to uh, practicing the, the Jewish customs, practicing the law. Knowing what they were enduring, God, through this Holy Spirit, stirred the heart of the author to write this book. This letter, or some say it's a sermon, depending on, you know, this, the book of Hebrews is intended for those who need comfort, encouragement, and reassurance. And that's the crux of what we're talking about today. Is that you today? You may not be enduring the exact difficulties of the Hebrew Christians, but are you feeling difficulties that, that make you feel tempted to quit? I'm not, think about it. Are, are you going through things right now that's going, well, you know what? Ever since I became a follower of Jesus, things have been going good. In fact, all these freaky things are happening to me, forget it. Why do I want to be a part of this? Are you being tempted to want to return to your life the way it was before Christ? Do you find yourself questioning what God has allowed you to go through? If this is you, if that's you, then I need you to know that the book of Hebrews is for you. But I do have a caveat. Oh, I, I have a caveat. This Encouragement may not be what you want to hear, but those who are afflicted this morning, it is what you need to hear. And I'm going to talk about that a little later. And again, you know, the, the book of Hebrews is, I mean, there is so much to talk about. There is, you know, 13 chapters of, of encouragement. But we're only going to be looking, again, the, the first four verses and I simply titled this message, The Exaltation of Jesus. All right, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. And you don't, you don't know what I did, but I accidentally closed out my Bible app. So give me a moment to pull it up. 
Oh my goodness. I was trying to be slick and trying to pull it up and... Uh, all right, all right, all right. Whew. All right, so Hebrews, <laughs> Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. Oh, man, I was getting worried. I thought we may have to, you know, play VeggieTales video while I try to get things going, but I think we're going to be all right. Okay, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in a time past to the fathers by the prophets, verse 2, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And verse 4, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So let's take a look at the first verse. I'm going to read it again. Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in the time past to the fathers by the prophets. Okay. The writer of Hebrews says that God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. All right. But, but even before that, God spoke in different ways. Well, what do we mean? Well, God came in and in the cool of the day, to the Garden of Eve, Garden of Eden, and talked to Adam and Eve. Another way is he visited and talked to Moses through the burning bush. He talked to Abraham. He even communicated with Joseph through, through dreams. And then he sent the prophets to speak to the people the words he gave to them. Now, one of the things that's weird, and I don't know if you ever noticed this, but there seems to be like this misunderstanding. Like the God of the Old Testament was distant and, and far and, and about wrath. And the God of the New Testament is about love. And, you know, we got Jesus, you know. The, the God of the Old Testament sacrifices and blood. And God of the New Testament, he's chill. Jesus and forgiveness and grace. Nothing could be further from the, from the truth. Uh, one of the things that we want to look at real quick is that God was speaking to his people through the Old Testament just as much as the New Testament. Now, now one of the things where, yeah, yeah, there is a different way that the, the people in the Old Testament you know, were, were, were saved versus the New Testament because Jesus hadn't come yet. Now, here's your $5 seminary term called progressive revelation. Now, from the time of the Old Testament to the time of the New, when Jesus came, it was, there's this misunderstanding that, well, only Jesus came on the spot during the New Testament. Jesus was born, and then from there, boom, that then that's when we became aware of, of Jesus. But you know what? Jesus has always been. Jesus has always been there, has always been present, has always been speaking. And throughout the portion of this message, we're going we're gonna to see that in depth. Now, now think about this. You know, the, the author of the Hebrews knew his audience. He was talking to Hebrew Christians. So these Hebrew Christians were familiar with the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the law. 
You know, and even if you were to ask these Hebrew Christians about, you know, about the law, about the, 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 what they believed, they took pride in it because it was in their ancestry. Their fathers believed it. Their forefathers believed it. You know, they, they, it, it was a part of them. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everything about Judaism pointed to Jesus. It's always pointed to Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Not only does the Old Testament reveal the coming Messiah through prophecy, it also reveals him. Now, here's again another $5 seminary word through typology. See, we as here, we are in 2023, we can look back and see. But it's so cool because when you see that, how, when I mean about Jesus being there all along, Jesus being revealed all along, typology refers to historical people, places, objects, or events which foreshadow Christ and his work in the Old Testament. Let me give you some examples. Adam knew that it was real, that the Messiah should come to the seed of the woman. To Abraham, that he should spring from, the Messiah should spring from his descendants. To Jacob, that he should be from the tribe of Judah. To David, that the Messiah should be of his house. To Micah, that he should be born of Bethlehem. And to Isaiah, that he should be born of a virgin. See, all these things were, were pointing to Christ. And let me give you some examples of typologies of Christ. Ready? Adam. A type of Christ. Abel, a type of Christ. Noah's Ark, a type of Christ. Melchizedek, a type of Christ. Jacob's Ladder, a type of Christ. Isaac, a type of Christ. Joseph, a type of Christ. And I know, yeah, I know people are going, John, slow down. I'm trying to write this down. I'm going fast for the interest of time. Look at one of the beautiful things because this message is being recorded. I encourage you to go back. But what, what I'm trying, as I'm naming out this list, I'm just letting you know that it's always been there. Jesus has always been there. He's always been a part. I, I, I love this list, so let me continue. So I said Moses, the sacrificial system pointing to Christ, the Passover lamb, the typology, manna, the bronze snake, the high priest, the tabernacle, the temple veil, the mercy seat, the Sabbath day, the cities of refuge, the rock Moses struck, David, Solomon, Jonah, Israel, the feast and the festivals, and even, they even say that if you were to take an aerial shot and look at the way that the tribes were arranged at the camp, that it formed a cross. So, what does this mean? What does this mean? Okay, great, John. You're pointing out all these things, the typologies. Well, Jesus has always been there. Like I said, Jesus is God. Guess what? Jesus is indeed Yahweh, the I am, the God of the Old Testament. Let that sink in. Jesus has always been. And so here's the thing. How, how can I apply this? Okay, John, that's great. How can I apply this? Here's the takeaway. The assurance, take assurance of God's presence. For example, throughout the Old Testament, like I said earlier, God, God is declared to be compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is the Old Testament that I'm quoting you about God being slow to anger, abounding in love. What's your proof, John? 
Exodus 34, 6. Numbers 14, 18. Deuteronomy 4, 31. Nehemiah 9, 17. God has always loved his people. God has never been distant. Now, now, check this out. In the Old Testament, God, I uh, know, in the Old Testament, remember, Jesus had not come yet. Jesus had not been fully revealed yet. But in the Old Testament, God didn't leave his people to die in their sins. Instead, he provided a sacrificial system where atonement could be made for their sin. Now, we know that the sacrificial system was only temporary. And what that, that sacrificial system did was point to what Jesus would do at the cross, making a complete substitutionary atonement for our sin. So even while God was progressively revealing his plan, he, he was still actively engaged with his people, even in the midst of their suffering. So let this be an assurance to you for those who are feeling that they're going through difficulty, those who are feeling that they want to quit, those who are feeling that they want to give up. God has not abandoned you, but he is ultimately involved in your circumstance. You may not see it right now. You may not feel it right now, but he is. Now let's move on to verse 2. Hebrews 1, 2. Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also made the world. This passage tells us that there has been a change in the way God communicates with humanity, shifting from speaking through the prophets to speaking to the Son. Now, 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 don't get it wrong. Don't get it wrong. The prophets and the law weren't a bad thing. But Jesus is the better thing. It's, now, 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 here's the thing. Don't take my word for it. Jesus said so. Matthew 5, 17, 5, 17 through 19. And this is what Jesus says. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So we know that the prophets were a good thing. And, but we know that Jesus is the better thing. And, and, and let's, let's consider why God made the shift. Okay, The completion of revelation. See, the author of Hebrews indicates that in the last days, which what he means by in the last days is simply the age of the Messiah. Like uh, age, remember like B.C. 80? You know, you're familiar with that before Christ. Uh, what is it? Am, am, thank you. Thank you. So when, when, that, when, when the author of Hebrews is saying in the last days, he's meaning the age of the Messiah. Okay? God has spoken through his son. This suggests that it marked, Jesus' arrival marked a pivotal moment in God's redemption plan. Through Jesus, God provided the ultimate and complete revelation of himself. Let me say that again. Through Jesus, God provided the ultimate and complete revelation of himself. Everything we want to know about God is fully, finally, and completely filled by Jesus. Now, 
if you feel like your head starts spinning, starting to grasp the Trinity, God three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you're not alone. You're in good company. You know what? Um, I forget who it was. I think it was a Spurgeon or Lewis. Basically said that, yeah, scholars can have the words and, and basically try to articulate that a definition and understanding of the Trinity, but deep down, it's still a mystery. Remember when Jesus said, he, ha- he who has seen me has seen the Father? That, that's a portion of, of scripture that's found in the Gospel of John. Jesus earnestly explained to his disciples, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen me. Remember that Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And what did Jesus say to him? Have I been with you so long, yet you have not known me, Philip? He who's seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And I'm quoting John 14, 7 through 9. The goal of Christ's mission on this earth was to reveal the character of the Father to the human race. Now think about this. John affirmed, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared Him. Here we go. Since no man can see the Father and live, Christ came to show the character of the Father to humans. We're going to talk about that a little later because I know if for those who are trying to grasp the Trinity, that can get your mind spinning. As we in fine, also we see the finality of Jesus' work. The sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus accomplished the work of salvation for humanity. Through Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice has been offered and forgiveness and reconciliation with God are available to all those who believe in him. In conclusion, God's decision to speak through his son Jesus signifies the completion of the revelation, the uniqueness and authority of Jesus as the incarnate son of God, the finality of his redemptive work, and the continuity and progression of of God's plan. The focus in Hebrews is on the superiority and sufficiency of Jesus as the ultimate and complete revelation of God. Now let's take a look at verses 1. Uh, let's continue, continue to look at Hebrews 1 through 2. Let's look at the last part of the, the scripture. Whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. We know that God the Father had appointed Jesus as a supreme authority and inheritance over all creation. Jesus is the divine Son, meaning that He's over heir, He's heir over all things. Is basically saying that He is the divine Sonship. As a Son of God, Jesus shares in the fullness of God's nature and possesses an inherent right to the creation. The inheritance of all creation. So what does this mean? How how, how do I apply this? Takeaway. 
divine nature, as, as Hebrews 1 and 2 highlights that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's character and will, let us provide comfort and encouragement by reminding you that through Jesus, you have access to the fullness of God, completely God's truth, God's wisdom, God's guidance. It's yours. Even admit and admit admit persecution, you can find peace in knowing that you have a direct connection to God through his son. What's another takeaway? Jesus exalts position. Jesus is supreme and sovereign over all things, including your persecutors, including the things that you're experiencing trouble. To those who are giving you trouble, the situation, Jesus has power and authority over it. And whether you, you don't, it doesn't seem like he's working, it may, it may feel like he's abandoning you, he may feel like he's gone quiet, because of who Jesus is, the fullness of God, the Son of God, you can take comfort that even in the midst of the, of the most difficult circumstances, that he's even Lord over those that are bringing the difficulty or the things that are causing the difficulty, which may be a hard pill to swallow because, let's face it, we want God to deal with our issues right now. We want God to deal with our problems right now. No, no, like yesterday, Lord, I need you to take this away like yesterday. So, Lord, if you're a God of love, how come you're having me wait? How come you're having me sit through this, Lord? How come, you're having, how come I have to feel this or go through this pain, Lord? Where are you? We're going to address that a little later. Like I said, you know, as we see who, who Jesus is, as we exalt him, like I said, it's, it's the answer that we need. We're going to talk about that a little later. Okay. Now, now, now. Go on, let's go to Hebrews 1.3. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down, at the right hand of the majesty on high. So in this sense, what the scripture is saying, Jesus is the beam of God's glory. Now we, we've never seen the sun, but you can feel the rays of the sun. They come to us. So even so, we have never seen God the Father. We have seen him through the rays of the sun. You know, remember earlier, I talked about the, the trippiness of the, of the Trinity and tr understanding God and, and Jesus. Just a few moments we talked about Jesus being the ultimate revelation of God the Father. Let, let's, let's take a look at it again because it's really important that we, we grasp this. Because I know, hey, look, look, look. It can make your head spin. Even in, as seasoned believers, when we try to con put the concept of the Trinity and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Make your head spin. 
Okay, so let's, let's try this. Ready? Here we go. Take a deep breath. All right. Okay, let's, let's break this down. Here's why it's so important. Okay, without Jesus, we can't see God. Where do I get the basis for that? John 1.18. No one has ever seen God. Why? This statement refers to the spiritual nature of God. God is spirit. Where do I get that from? John 4.24a. God is spirit. And guess what? We are not. We are limited naturally in perceiving him because we are made from dirt. We are on this side of eternity. We are our physical beings. We don't have this spiritual ability on our own to see him. Physical eyes cannot behold spiritual things. Plus, we have sin nature. We have physical, moral, and spiritual limitations. That's why we can't see God. Okay? Now, now, now keep that in mind. Let me add to that. We can't see God, and if we were to see God, we would freak out and die. We can't see God and live. No, 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 this isn't, um, this isn't hyperbole. Seriously, we will freak out and die. Let, let, let me give you some explanation on that. Okay, think about this. Go back to when, jo- when Moses talked with God at the burning bush. Exodus 3.6 says, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Later, God tells Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Exodus 33.20. In other words, if we were to see God fully as he is, fullness of his glory, we would implode. We would croak. We would follow because we cannot, we cannot, we cannot. Think about how many times in the Bible where, where, where men encountered angels and they fall over. Or men, you know, when Jesus appears, they fall as dead. And Jesus got to say, no, no, it's cool, man, get up. We just, we just physically cannot, do not have that ability. We are limited as humans. Also, keep in mind, since we're talking about this, that uh, Moses, now, 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 Moses was allowed to see a glimpse of God, his glory, but for his own protection, God kept it hidden. He could only see the train of his glory, the tail end of his glory, and that's recounted in Exodus, Exodus 33, uh, verses 21 and 23. Okay, let me give you some more examples because I really want to hit home on this. In Genesis 32, Verse 22, Jacob wrestled with someone who was later revealed to be God. And when the situation was over, Jacob freaked out. That's my interpretation. Jacob felt the full impact on what happened. And he said, and he called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. Judges. 13 verse 1, Samson's parents have an interaction with the angel of the Lord. 
They didn't realize that they are speaking to the angel of the Lord until the angel performs a sign and ascends to heaven before their eyes. At that point, Samson's father is terrified. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. So you notice, again, we see two separate, we see Jacob freaking out. We see Samson's parents freaking out. And, and then Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through, one through 13. Isaiah has a vision of the Lord High and exalted, seating on the throne. There are seraphim present, and even they cover their face in God's presence. Isaiah's immediate reaction is fear due to a sin. Woe to me, he cries. I am ruined. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Dude, you just told me just a few moments earlier that you cannot see God and live, and yet you have these three cases where they freaked out, rightfully so, but they didn't die. What gives? Or is it a contradiction? No. What we have here is three examples of Christophanies. They didn't know that, but look at their initial reaction. They freaked out. That is why we can't see, that's why we cannot see God, and no man has seen God and live, but that's where the beauty of Christ. That's where, that's where we should just be thankful and just give thanks because that's where Jesus comes in. That's where, that's where the we should. Okay, well, yeah, you know what? On the side of eternity, we cannot see the Father, but when we see the Son, we have, we know, we 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 know how the Father. We we seen the Father. Through the sun. So I just want to give that. I, I want to give that. Not me. Who am I kidding? The Lord wants to give that encouragement, you know, uh, about um, that's why. That's why. You know, and let's take, let's take a look at the uh, last part of the verse upholding all things by the word of his power. A simple fact that Jesus upholds things by the power of his word. Think about that. Jesus upholds things by the power of his word. Jesus, I'm going to give you an example of how powerful Jesus' word versus my word. Bottle of water. Levitate. <laughs> Bottle of water. Fall over. Bottle of water, open up and pour. Please. Any moment. No. It's a silly example, rightfully so. But yet, and I was thirsty. Yet Jesus' word holds everything together, holds our breath together, our life together, holds the cosmos together. His spoken word. pretty cool. And I can't take credit for this. David Guzik said this. The idea behind a word translated upholding is better, is a better thought as maintaining. The word does not have the idea of passively holding something up as kind of like the, the, the mythical atlas held up, but he, Jesus is actively sustaining it. He's actively doing it with no 
strain with no, oh my goodness, this is heavy. Oh, I can't hold it. No, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. Also, we saw the, the power of Jesus' word here on earth because Jesus forgave. He healed, cast out demons. He calmed bad weather. All at the saying of his word. That word is pretty powerful. Jesus' spoken word is pretty powerful. Yeah. And looking at the last part of the scripture, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is, let me say this again, Jesus is uniquely qualified alone. There's no other to atone for our sins because of his divine nature, his sinless life, his sacrificial death. Jesus alone. So is it kind of, can you understand why God gets a little unhappy when you hear other religions saying, oh, you need, Jesus is good, but you need to add this. Or, you know, the, the think about the, the, the Jewish priest, the Pharisees. Oh, no, you need to do that. <laughs> Jesus alone. Jesus' death and alone is sufficient. So how do I apply this? Think about what, who Jesus is and what he did for you. Hebrews 1.3 mentions that Jesus provided purification for sins. This should bring hope and encouragement by reminding you of the redemptive work of Jesus. It assures you through faith in him, you have been forgiven and reconciled to God. This offers comfort and strength and the assurance of eternal life, regardless of what you're going through right now. Whatever you're going through right now does not pale in comparison what what he has for you, eternal life. Okay. And what this does also, the, another takeaway is that we can focus on eternity. We see in that in the portion of scripture that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. This means that his work, his death and resurrection, his atonement, it's finished. It's final. And we see that his resurrection, we see the victory of his work. It reminds us that our suffering is temporary. Yeah, it's going to hurt for a bit here. But through faith in Jesus, you have the hope of eternal glory and a future free from pain and persecution, a future free from pain and hardship, a future free from pain and suffering. And this is the perspective that provides encouragement to persevere and endure. Now let's look at the last verse. Verse 4, having become so much better than the angels as he has obtained a more excellent name than they. Bottom line is this, that Jesus is superior. We've seen that. We've seen that laid out. We've seen the, through the revelation of Jesus that Jesus is superior. Now, why did he mention angels? Because in the Jewish culture there was there was an importance placed on angels. The angels were used to, to minister, to bring messages. So the angels do play a part. 
So for the Jew, when you hear, you know, oh, wait, Jesus is even greater than the angel, better than the angels, that should say something to the Jew. You know, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, it's an inherited name. It's a name that represents his nature, character, and role. Also, angels don't like to be worshipped. How do we know that? Revelation 22, 8, 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, with those who keep the words of his book. Worship God. Okay, so... So right there, that the worship, the angel didn't go, cool man, bring it on, worship me. No, no, no. He rightfully pointed to God. So we got it from the angel's mouth that no, no. And Jesus is greater. And the angels would agree. How do I apply this? How do I apply this in my life? You, you seek the superiority of Christ. Seek his superiority. Reflect on who Jesus is. We've seen already, we talked about his position as a son of God, with his position of authority, his sonship. Reflect. And even in the midst of your troubles, fix your eyes on Jesus, recognizing that he is greater than any problem you may face. Also, find confidence in his name. When you're facing trouble, call upon his name with confidence, knowing that he's mighty to save, mighty to comfort, mighty to provide for you. Now, remember, now we're going to close this up. Remember how I was saying earlier, my little warning, that this encouragement may not be what you want to hear, but to those who are afflicted is what you need to hear. There are some of you that in here that may be going, no, and please do not show your hands. John, thank you for this message, but this doesn't help. John, what, what? Can I take this portion of scripture? Can I tear it out and, and put it in the ATM? Will I get the money that I need? John, can I tear out this portion of scripture and take it to Food Lion and they'll fill my cart with food? John, can I take this portion of scripture, put it in an envelope, mail it to my car note, and my car note's going to be taken care of? John, I want answers. John, this doesn't help me. I need answers to what's going on, to what's going on in my life. I need answers to my questions. Listen, listen here, listen, listen. This is where I want, let, 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 let's be sober about this. Let's be serious about this. Because no matter how long we ponder the matter, we see in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. Okay, I'm going drop, to drop a truth bomb. God has his reasons but as we see in Job, he is not obligated to explain his reasons to us. Well, John, John, I thought you said God is a loving God. Yeah, he is. But God's ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. We only have our little world. Our God is ultimate multitasker, working things out, not only for me, but for those in my sphere of influence and others. My situation that I am going through, I may not know that it could be God's using it somehow, some way to affect someone and to bring him 
that, you know, the situation bring him closer or using it to bring God glory. We don't know. But here's the thing. God is not in any obligation to tell us. We see that in Job. We see that in Job. And honestly, honestly, if God was to explain everything, lay everything out on for us, I don't think we'd be simp- we would ha- not have the capability of understanding, to be honest with you. We would not be able to get it if God just laid everything out. And how do we know that? Again, I, I present to you Job. When Job was questioning God, God flipped it around and questioned him at the end and laid out all these questions about where were you when I created this? Where are you? In our limited human sense, it, yeah, it rightfully shuts us up because God is God and we are not. Honestly, there's, there's whatever you're going through, whatever that you're wanting answers to, Don't know if the uh, if we have the capability of understanding. What sort of explanation would suffice to explain to us why the Jewish Christians had to suffer? Why some people seem to have an easy life while some don't? Why some people get healed from a disease and some people have to bear it? Why some people have to live paycheck to paycheck and some people don't? Why some people can escape from a, an accident? Some people perish. God has his reasons, but he doesn't have to, and he doesn't explain them to us. To all our questions, and this is what I've had to learn. To all our questions, God replies, I am who I am. And that's not something that I conjured up. That's that. You could, that's Exodus 3.14. If you want an answer to your situation, if you want an answer to what you're going through, okay, here, here, here we go, here we go, here we go. The answer is a person, not an explanation. You go, you may reply, no, no, that's not enough, John. I want a real answer. If Jesus himself is not enough. No answer will ever satisfy you. If Jesus is not enough, no answer in this world will satisfy you. Well, God, well, John, thank you because that, you know what? Um, I'm not getting you, man, because you're, you're saying that, you know, God doesn't owe me an answer and, uh, so what does, what does God do? What, so what, what? Here's what we can take comfort in. God himself draws near to those who are hurt. Psalms 34, 18. He draws near to those who are hurting. You're not overlooked by him. He knows. And then if we can be honest, God uses suffering to draw us to himself. Nothing, I don't know about you, but... When life is good, I'm, I'm confessing. I, I think I've shared this before. When life is good, bills are paid, food is on the table, my car is running, everything's going good, and my computer's starting on, uh, up on time, and I'm having no crashes. It is in my nature to forget about God. I'm, I'm less 
I'm just being honest. I'm less likely to pray. I'm less likely to, because things are going so good. But the moment tribulations hit, the moment things start happening and, not, and going wrong, it does. I don't know about you all, but I'm just being open. It, it drives, it, it makes me, oh, Lord, I, and all of a sudden it makes me start thinking of God. I know. I know. I'm a wretched sinner. I know. I know. I'm just being honest. You know. And let's face it, we grow faster in hard times than in good times. I know a lot of the growth that I've experienced has come, not in result of the good times, I just shared with you that I could get, I'm 10 to get complacent, but my time, when I'm really, you know, going through a lot, suffering, that's where, that's where I grow spiritually. You know, and that's where, uh, Romans 5, verses 2 through 4 is, is, describes a process of God using, uh, you know, developing godly character in our lives. And that we should rejoice in our sufferings. Not easy to do. Don't like to. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. He doesn't say we should rejoice because of our sufferings. We should rejoice in our sufferings. Big difference. Big difference. Like, oh, you know, I, you know, I got afflicted with this disease. Yeah, I love it. Bring it on. No, no, no. That's weird. Don't do that. But we can rejoice going, okay, I got this disease, and yes, it hurts. But Lord, I know you, you love me, and I know you have a plan. And I know that I may not understand this, and I may not like this, but I know you, that you'll bring glory. And I know that you will take care of me. Big difference between the two. So... In conclusion, this is a perfect time to lead into communion. We want to give you an opportunity to, to come before the Lord. Okay. Are you that person this morning that's having the difficulty, who is on the verge of quitting, on the verge of walking away, going, you know what, God, you've allowed so much junk to happen to my life. I, and I don't know why. I don't like it. Now that's you. You know what? We've seen that, yeah, God is God, but He loves you. I know we've heard that cliche before. Take a moment in your mind's eye to survey the cross. Take a look at, the, can you hear the sound of the, the nails being driven? Can you, can you, in your mind's eye, can you picture the, the crown of thorns? not gently placed, but slammed on his head. Can you see the number of marks left by the cat of nine tails on his body? Can you see the blood dripping? And yet, we remember the seven sayings of Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even in the midst of all that, Jesus still managed to have Mary taken care of. Behold, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. We see in the midst of all that suffering, that uh, Jesus told the thief next to him, assuredly today you'll be with me in paradise. Survey the, in your mind's eye, survey the cross. God loves you. He loves you tremendously. He proved it by dying for you, for me. So yeah, let's be real with one another. We may not get what's going on in this hard life. We may not even like what's going on. But let me tell you something. It pales in comparison to what he has for us. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Don't quit. Hang in there. Look to Jesus. So as we take communion, the time that we set aside as a church family to thank him for what he's done. Again, in your mind's eye, survey the cross. And if you're dealing with those feelings that I shared, no condemnation. Because I felt them too. I've had those moments where I questioned God's goodness. You're not going to hurt God. He's not going to clutch his pearls and go, you said, what about me? No. But come before him. Repent. Tell him what's on your mind. Tell him what's on your heart. Tell him what you're feeling. Leave it with him and trust him. So at this time, we're going to dim the lights. And um, we've all done communion before. Um, as our brother leads us in, in the song, just take your elements and uh, be seated. And we're going to continue. You may come up and get grab your elements, please. There's an old wooden cross on top of a hill. There's a grave that's been empty for thousands of years. There is grace and forgiveness at the table he set. The Father's love poured out for us and we won't forget. Flesh and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine, we remember. Hearts of stone, slaved in prison, find their freedom in surrender. The veil was torn, the gates swing open, the battle's won, the war is over. Flesh and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine, we remember. Never asked for anything, you just wanted our hearts. You say the price you pay for us was worth every scar. Still you meet us with mercy in our shame and in our sin. The Father's love poured out for us again and again, flesh and bone, blood and timber. of stone slid in prison find the freedom and surrender the veil was torn the gates swing open the battle's won the war is over flesh and bone blood and timber bread and wine we remember separate what the good Lord brings together. If you know his love, then raise your cup. Hallelujah, we remember. Nothing can separate what the good Lord brings together. If you know his love, then raise your cup. Hallelujah, we remember. Nothing can separate 
what the good Lord brings together. If you know His love, then raise your cup. Hallelujah, we remember flesh and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine. We remember hearts of stone, slaves in prison, find the freedom and surrender. The veil was torn, the gates swing open, the battles won, the war is over. Flesh and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine. We remember flesh and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine. We remember. While Jesus, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread he had given them, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, this is blood, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. As the song perfectly pointed out, we remember. We remember what Jesus has done. Communion is a beautiful thing because not only do it, can we as a family remember together what Jesus has done. It's a time of intimacy with, the, with him. So Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your amazing love. We thank you, Lord, that you are exalted, Lord. Exalted above all things, above all ones, Lord, even above all difficulties and circumstances, Lord, you are God over all. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you for who you are. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may partake. The end of this, uh, when James is going to finish up and close us with a song. And if you want to talk more, if you need prayer, I'll, I'll be up here. Um, but as you go and grow in God's grace and knowledge, He loves you. He loves you immensely. And while we may not have the answers here, and we may not fully understand Take assurance in what we know that who Jesus is. I pray that you would just think about that and let that just meditate on that. And then when you feel the, when you're reminded of your problems and your circumstances, just remember who Jesus is. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, uh, it's so heavy, Lord, uh, when we consider your ways and who you are, when we consider the, the Trinity, Lord, we consider that um, just your, your awesomeness, Lord. Our minds are blown, Lord. But we thank you, Lord, that even though while we have not fully comprehend it, Lord, we know your love. You've spelled that out clearly for us, Lord. And we acknowledge you as God. We acknowledge that your ways are your ways. Your thoughts are higher, Lord. And Lord, we just look to you to sustain us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. 
Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.